Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a mental health platform that provides direct online counseling and therapy services via web or phone text communication. You don't even need to use flu powder in order to access a therapist through BetterHelp. I think we can all tell in book five that if you keep your feelings bottled up, it can start to affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off of your chest if you don't have access to Dumbledore's office. I know in my life, therapy has helped me identify patterns to help me interrupt ones that I don't feel like are healthy and find better ways to cope. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash sacred text today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash sacred text. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Me Undies. I have lots of kinds of underwear in my drawer, but I have to tell you that my favorite kind of underwear is Me Undies. I love them so much, and Colette, my wife, is so jealous of them that when Mother's Day came up this year and she wanted a variety of different gifts for Mother's Day, one of the things she wanted was some Me Undies underwear and also their lounge pants. I have a pair of Me Undies lounge pants, and Colette deserves a super soft, super comfortable pair of Me Undies lounge pants. There are styles for everyone from all black classics to fun, expressive prints, and they come in sizes extra small to 4XL, guaranteeing a flattering cut for everybody. And like I said already, they have unmatched comfort. Their signature fabric is as soft as a warm hug from your favorite sweater. It's also breathable, stretchy, and oh so comfy, making it ideal for all day wear. MeUndies are also responsibly sourced. They use sustainably sourced materials and work with partners that care for their workers. Get 20% off your first order plus free shipping at MeUndies.com slash HPST. That's MeUndies.com slash HPST for 20% off plus free shipping. MeUndies. Comfort from the outside in. Chapter 14. Snape's Grudge. No one in Gryffindor Tower slept that night. They knew that the castle was being searched again, and the whole house stayed awake in the common room, waiting to hear where the black had been caught. Professor McGonagall came back at dawn. I'm Casper Terkyle. And I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Casper, I woke up this morning, and it was so weird. I hadn't met a hundred wonderful people last night, and I'm going through withdrawal. We had such a good time on the West Coast tour. Thank you to everyone who came out and tweeted in and stayed behind to say hello and came to the meetups. You know, this project sometimes feels like it's Ariana, Vanessa and I sitting in a studio room and suddenly to connect with hundreds of people all across the West Coast was an absolute honor. So thank you again so much for coming out. So Vanessa, it's your turn to tell a story. What have you got for us? So when I was two or three years old, I had my mom's mom in my life. Her name was Ruth, and I called her Mama. I had my dad's mom in my life. Her name was Elizabeth, and I called her Anyu. And then I had my other grandma. Her name was Nancy, and I called her my other grandma. She was not real. She was just someone who I made up, and we're really not sure why. I had to 
perfectly lovely, albeit complicated, grandmothers. They doted on me. They bought me presents. But I guess they, like, somehow weren't enough for me because I also had my Nana Nancy. And Nana Nancy had a puppy, and she knew my favorite kind of cookie, and she always baked it. And she lived nearby, which my other two grandmas didn't. I don't know if there's something there. And so I would talk about my other grandma a lot. And, you know, it was like this cute bit that my, like, parents and older brother thought was funny and would sort of goad me on about it, be like, what is your other grandma like for dinner? And I would, like, have answers. I'd be like, her favorite meal is steak and potatoes and peas. And so one day my mom and I were out driving in the neighborhood, and I said, Mom, we're near my other grandma. And my mom was like, okay, let's see how far this goes. She thought it was adorable and that she would sort of, like, push me to the edge of this obsession. So she was like, where does your other grandma live? And I was like, turn left here. So she turned left, and I was like, turn right here. So we turned right. Then I was like, that's her house. And so my mom pulled up, and then I did what I think any reasonable child would do at the house of their grandparent, started getting out of the car. And my mom was like, wait, 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 no more. We thought this was a bit. And, like, my parents, I think, thought that I was to some extent in on it, that I, like, knew this was make-believe. But what became clear to my mom in that moment is I did not know this was make-believe. Like, this was absolutely real to me. And not to be dramatic, but that was the moment that my other grandma died. I think my parents thought it might be offensive to Anyu and Mama. I had two perfectly good grandmas, and I was constantly talking to them about my other grandma who did these other things. And I just think that that is so true about imagination, that once you start imagining something— I think that you can lose sight of what you've created and what's real. And to this day, I worry that Nana Nancy is waiting for my call. (laughs) If I was your mom, I would have let you walk in (laughs) and just be like, yeah, go go see your grandma. (laughs) My dad is also like, why didn't you let her go? That would have ended it for sure. But I think it's so human, especially as kids, right? Like our imaginary world is so powerful and so strong. I mean, for me, that's one of the reasons why I love the Potter books. Reading them the first time as a kid was the world was so vivid and the details were so clear. And in some ways, as you say, like that world can be as real, if not more real than the one we inhabit day to day. And I'm also reminded, you know, even of the quote at the end of the books where Dumbledore says, just because it's happened in your head doesn't mean it's not real. There's this really interesting liminal space between our imagined world and our, I guess, physical experienced world. And who's to say where that line is? Like, for you in those months or years, however long your other grandma was real, there was a sense of love and care that you were getting from somewhere. And I think that kind of counts. So I'm super curious to figure out where is this line around imagination? Where can it be good? Where can it be harmful? How can we use it? Absolutely. I think that we tend to squash imagination in people. We're like, oh, stop daydreaming. And I just think imagination is one of the strongest tools we have at our disposal. Casper, do you sometimes in your imagination pretend that you're good at the 30-second recap? It's true. I lost three out of four of the live show votes. And even the fourth one, which I did win, was really a sympathy vote. But I'm back. I'm back and I've trained. I'm ready. You're slouching a little. Okay, now you look ready. On your mark, get set, go. 
So Ron has had this intense experience and suddenly he's more famous than Harry and he's really loving it. Um, and it's nearly time to go to Hogsmeade and Harry wants to go and this time he's going to wear the invisibility cloak. And so um, he's hanging around and then Neville sees him and uh, Snape is there and blah, blah, blah. He goes through tunnel, goes to Shrieking Shack um, and there's Malfoy and he throws mud and the mud is everywhere. And then he runs back because suddenly his head appears and Snape catches him and then they have to talk about it and Buckbeak is going to be executed and all the things happen. That was just all the things happen. I mean, that covers it. It's thorough and detailed. Will you fill in the blanks? I'll try. That's not my job. (laughs) All right. Three, two, one, go. As you said, Ron is loving being famous. And then Hogsmeade gets announced. They're super not talking to Hermione. And um, they go down to Hogsmeade. This like skirmish happens with Draco. They come back. And um, Harry has this, like, intense conversation with Snape, and it turns out that James Potter is not the man who we thought he was. Snape is like, you don't know everything you think you know. Lupin comes in and sort of rescues Harry and is like, yes, I know that's a map. And then they go back to the common room, and Hermione is, like, super upset, and they think that Hermione has tattled on them, but she hasn't. And she's just like, Buckbeak is going to be executed. That was so good. Yeah, the Lupin piece is really important. He, like, shows up in the fireplace using flu powder. He gets called by Snape. Snape beckons him. With sparkly powder. Yeah, I've I never think seen it, that before. No, we haven't seen that magic before. That's new magic. But I also just want the ability to, like, beckon you via fireplace. Be like, <laughs> Casper, quick question. <laughs> yes, Vanessa. I think we call it FaceTime. Yeah, no, I'd, like, text you. It's so boring. <laughs> so, Casper, can we start obvious? Harry, over the last two and a half years, has been in some dangerous situations. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. A scrape or two. Yeah. A near brush with death. <laughs> Just one or two close encounters. Right. Why is he incapable of imagining that something might happen to him if he goes into Hogsmeade, even though everybody says that he cannot go into Hogsmeade? I am Team Snape in this chapter. Not really, but a little. Well, I'm definitely Team Lupin, right? Like, Lupin rescues him from Snape's anger, which is about much more than showing up in Hogsmeade. And Lupin says, this is such a poor way to repay your parents, gambling their sacrifice for a bag of magic tricks. I mean, that is damning. And it's true. I mean, Harry is so foolhardy and, as you say, just doesn't imagine the consequences in any way. And perhaps that's something to do with the neuroscience or abilities of a 13-year-old. I think that's definitely true. I think we become much more risk-averse as we grow older. But at the same time, you know, the fact that he's had so many scrapes with death and always gotten away with it, I feel like Harry just perhaps imagines himself to be invulnerable in some way. He's heading out to Hogsmeade and the Shrieking Shack underneath the invisibility cloak and he not for one second imagines that it might slip he starts a fight with Malfoy underneath this cloak obviously something's going to go wrong and it does and he hasn't even thought about it and I mean this is a little outside of the text but he's running to get back to the entrance back to Hogwarts and I feel like we know that he has to be careful about his shoes showing and about bumping into people Anything can go wrong. And I know that I spend too much of my life imagining things that could go wrong. But everything has to go perfectly in order for this to go well. And he just leaves no space in his imagination for the option of failure. 
And for what? I mean, that's the other thing that Lupin says, right? A box of magic tricks. Like, yeah, he sees the inside of Zonkos for the first time, but as Sirius Black is still on the loose, like, all of these dangers are Sirius out there. Sirius Black almost killed his best friend, theoretically, like, the night before, or a week before. So this is what I meant when I said that I sort of agree with Snape. Snape says everyone from the Minister of Magic downward has been trying to keep famous Harry Potter safe from Sirius Black. But famous Harry Potter is a law unto himself. And obviously, Snape is being incredibly, like, demeaning and insulting in the way that he's saying this. But I also just think this is a lack of empathy for all of the effort put in to protect everybody at Hogwarts. This is a lack of imagination of how McGonagall would feel. Literally, the Minister of Magic is involved in trying to protect you. It feels like a willful lack of imagination. I feel so conflicted about this, Vanessa, because on the one hand, as you say, Harry's scale of empathy is pretty small, right? He's not imagining how other people could react to a serious injury or or his death. And at the same time, that very lack of imagining other people's feelings does allow him to break free and be this rogue warrior, underground spy, sacrificial lamb. Like, if he was too sensitive about what others would feel about him, would he walk alone into the forest at the end? I'm seeing a pro and con to this tendency to not only isolate himself in terms of friendships, as we've seen so far, but also isolate himself in terms of who he feels responsible for. Does that make sense? It does. I just then want to say that then I find what he does a lot less brave. I think bravery is when you are aware of the consequences and do something anyway, because the potential outcome is worth the risk. And you have imagined all the risks. Harry doesn't think he's risking anything. And so, I mean, if we're going to say that it's his lack of imagination that allows him to make these bold moves, I'm not sure that the moves are that bold then. That's really compelling. And I think ultimately we do see a shift in Harry over these books. I think he starts in that very isolated way where he might not imagine the consequences for anyone else. And frankly, you know, at the very beginning, he doesn't really care about anyone else. Like, why would he? But at the end, he has such strong relationships with so many people that that muscle does grow over time. But I think that's part of growing up. I think, you know, you learn about who you are in relationship to other people in the world around you. I remember growing up in our kitchen right next to the sink. My mom had these two pictures of women in Mali in West Africa who were getting water out of a well. And she would always say to us, not everyone has a tap or a faucet with water coming out. You should be grateful for what you have. And like as a six, seven, you know, 14, 15 year old, I didn't really understand that. I find it hard to blame Harry in some way because he's just 13. Yes, absolutely. And for like 11 of his 13 years, it would have been almost impossible for him to imagine somebody caring about him. In his memory, nobody cared. Right. And so I think that what we're also seeing here is that it is almost unimaginable to him that anybody would care if he died. And this new idea that Lupin is introducing here of like, You have a legacy to make your parents' death meaningful. You have a responsibility to that. That is also new information for him. So it makes sense that that doesn't instantaneously click in. Right. And we see that happening on the page, right? He says that Lupin's words were much more consequential to him than any kind of outburst that Snape gives. So I think you're right. We're seeing that maturation process and that broadening of imagination right in this chapter. I mean, I love getting hard on Harry, and then the flip always happens where I'm like, poor Harry. 
There is this beautiful moment. This is off theme, but I just think it's so beautiful that Ron is more famous than Harry in this chapter. And Harry's just like, go, Ron. Yeah, do it. Finally. I think it would be understandable if Harry's identity was wrapped up in the fact that at Hogwarts, I'm sort of the famous one. And he's just letting Ron have this moment and is letting Ron sort of exaggerate to the second year girls. Harry is watching Ron, like, actively imagine himself as a hero. And Harry is totally giving that to Ron. He's just like, yep, I'll stand next to you while you imagine yourself as this brave guy for just happening to not die. Yeah, Ron is giving, like, all these details of, yeah, and he was holding a knife. It must have been 12 inches. You saw him for, like, a split second. Like, (laughs) let's be real, Ron. But I think in some way storytelling and practicing telling stories is a way of strengthening our imagination. Even like you imagining your other grandma, like that was a way of increasing your imagination muscle, as it were. Because if we want to change the way in which we administer justice or education or healthcare, like we have to imagine ways to do that better. So I think, in fact, like Ron is practicing the art of imagination in a way that, you know, doesn't hurt anyone. He gets to enjoy it a little bit and it's going to make him a more effective imagination person. Oh, I absolutely think that imagination is something that we should actively be cultivating. I hate it when people shut down big ideas in like political conversations. Like, what if we gave every baby a puppy when they're born? We could save all these puppies and not have to put them down. The kid would learn responsibility and unconditional love from the beginning. It sounds like the parents would have a really busy (laughs) afternoon. See, there's always a naysayer like you, in my opinion, too early in the ideation phase. Because let's imagine what that would be. And then let's decide, you know, actually, that's not a good idea because you're already dealing with a new pooper. Do you really need two new poopers? Probably not, right? Well, and that's one of the first rules of brainstorming, right? Like when you're in that brainstorming phase, no one is allowed to say that it's not possible. And I just think that that is where the big, good, revolutionary, truly changing the world ideas come from. But only if we allow ourselves to build on each other for three or four times in ways that makes no sense, right? So I would say to you like, well, and every puppy gets a crown and then <laughs> free cuddles for everyone. Right. But that is how you get to ideas like people who are incarcerated training puppies for people with PTSD to be service dogs, right? Like that is how you get to these revolutionary ideas that can actually really change people's lives. And if we don't give ourselves permission to imagine, if we don't practice the skill of imagining, I think it's a real skill and a real talent. And this has to be something that, as we see, Harry cultivates in Ron. And I think that Ron becomes a better and better imaginer, which is how he becomes more and more helpful as an ally to Harry throughout these books. Absolutely. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. 
Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Me Undies. I have lots of kinds of underwear in my drawer, but I have to tell you that my favorite kind of underwear is Me Undies. I love them so much, and Colette, my wife, is so jealous of them that when Mother's Day came up this year and she wanted a variety of different gifts for Mother's Day, one of the things she wanted was some Me Undies underwear and also their lounge pants. I have a pair of Me Undies lounge pants, and Colette deserves a super soft, super comfortable pair of Me Undies lounge pants. There are styles for everyone from all black classics to fun, expressive prints, and they come in sizes extra small to 4XL, guaranteeing a flattering cut for everybody. And like I said already, they have unmatched comfort. Their signature fabric is as soft as a warm hug from your favorite sweater. It's also breathable, stretchy, and oh so comfy, making it ideal for all day wear. MeUndies are also responsibly sourced. They use sustainably sourced materials and work with partners that care for their workers. Get 20% off your first order plus free shipping at MeUndies.com slash HPST. That's MeUndies.com slash HPST for 20% off plus free shipping. MeUndies. Comfort from the outside in. Vanessa, there's one other place in the text that really struck me on this theme of imagination, which is when Hagrid has asked Ron and Harry to come and visit him. And really what he wants to tell them is how upset Hermione is. And it's this lovely move by Hagrid to say, like, you're not taking your friendship seriously. Like, she's in here crying. She's upset. She's taken too much on. And what are you doing? Nothing. And I love when he said, I thought that you guys knew friendship was more important than rats and brooms. Ooh. So good. So many truths being laid down in this chapter. (laughs) And of course, we're worried about Buckbeak, right? Because the trial is coming up and we know the committee is in Lucius Malfoy's pocket and all of that. And Buckbeak is eating like a plate of ferrets. And the text tells us that Harry is really disgusted and he kind of averts his eyes is what the text says. And it really reminded me like I can't stand seeing horror movies. And it made me think like sometimes turning away from the thing that is scary actually makes it more scary because then my imagination goes wild. If I have seen an episode of something which is gory, two nights later, I have the most horrible and vivid nightmares because my brain is interpreting some like horrific scene and it's suddenly times a hundred. And so I don't know, like, is this a message that we should be looking at the plate of ferrets, even if it's disgusting? So at least we're facing the horrific vision? I think it depends because there's an argument that it's your imagination that's tormenting you, not the terrible thing that you've just seen. But obviously witnessing these horrible things like triggers you and traumatizes you to the point where you're having nightmares about it. A full stop 24 hours later. So I don't know. I think it's okay to protect yourself from things that are going to trigger you or traumatize you to no good end. I think confronting what it really looks like to be incarcerated in America is important because that is a reality that we are all implicated in. That is important. But 
I don't know if you have to know what it looks like when a hippogriff eats a live ferret. You could make an argument to me that that makes you a better person. I'm open to it. But I think it's okay to shield yourself from certain things. Well, I think you've hit the nail on the head. You know, there'll be a news item about, you know, some of these beheading videos on YouTube or car crashes or just really horrible things where on the one hand, I'm like, I should face the reality of what this is. But on the other hand, I'm like, what is productive about it? Like, is it helping me understand this more? Or is it just gruesome voyeurism, which helps nobody? Right. And I I don't think it's our job to walk around traumatizing ourselves all the time. I think that we would be huddles in the corner if we did. Yeah, I think we should use our imagination to stretch our empathy rather than make us imagine gruesome, horrible things that make us want to die. (laughs) Way to go out on a limb there. (laughs) Here, here. Really pushing the boundary. Vanessa, it's time for our spiritual practice of the week, and we are returning to the Jewish practice of Chavruta. My favorite. Your favorite. To remind us, Chavruta is the Aramaic word for friendship or companionship, and it's a traditional rabbinic approach to Talmudic study. So to sit together in relationship and talk and discuss and debate the text. And the idea is that I ask a question, but I have to come up with an answer before then you also ask a question and come up with an answer. And the truth is in the conversation that, you know, we keep kind of shining little lights at different parts of the truth, and that the whole conversation is a gesture towards the truth. So the piece of the text that I want to draw out and the question that I have is in the scene where Snape finds the Marauder's map. Um, He's caught Harry and he finds this piece of parchment and Harry's trying to pass it off as just a blank piece of paper and Snape is like, hmm, it looks remarkably old for a piece of paper. Let me just throw it in the fire. And Harry freaks out. So Snape is like, okay, clearly this is a magical object. And he tries to kind of say incantations to draw out what this map is. And very quickly, he sees these different written voices on the page insulting him. Mr. Mooney presents his compliments to Professor Snape and begs him to keep his abnormally large nose out of other people's business. And so it continues. And clearly, after hearing Mooney, Prongs, Padfoot and Wormtail, Snape is suspicious. And this might remind him of his high school bullies. So he calls Lupin. And Lupin appears and Snape says something which really struck me. You don't think a joke shop could supply him with such a thing. You don't think it more likely that he got it directly from the manufacturers? basically saying, I suspect you, Lupin, of giving this map to Harry. So the question that I have is, why does he let Lupin walk out with the boys? Like, why is there no punishment? And the only answer I can give is this is an intimidation tactic. Like, he's just trying to show Lupin that he's onto him or something. But I'm unconvinced. I think that we are watching Snape become his high school self a little bit here. He's just been insulted by his high school bullies, probably the exact types of insults that he is most sensitive to because they were the kinds that he was, like, given all the time as a kid. And I wonder if he is half still trying to exert his authority and is like, Lupin, come here. But he's also confronting a bully. And this goes right to the story that Hank shared with us last week of, like, even when someone is no longer your bully and even though the power dynamic has switched, now Snape has more power. He has the ability to make a potion that keeps Lupin healthy or not. I think that you can never totally shake dynamics like that. 
So you think he's just kind of paralyzed. Like Lupin takes charge of the situation, says, boys, come with me. And Snape has kind of lost his footing. That's super interesting. I mean, Snape calls Lupin, but the excuse that Snape gives of this parchment is plainly full of dark magic. This is supposed to be your area of expertise, Lupin. Where do you imagine Potter got such a thing? He doesn't call Lupin because he thinks that Lupin is the expert on dark magic. He's like bold enough to accuse Lupin and then sort of becomes a stuttering mess when his, you know, Lupin stands to his full height again. Well, not even a stuttering mess. Like he is silent. Look at what happens. Well, said Lupin, clapping his hands together and looking around cheerfully. That seems to clear that up. Severus, I'll take this back, shall I? He folded the map and tucked it inside his robes. And then literally he takes the boys and says, excuse us, Severus. And like Snape says nothing. God, I'd never noticed that. He's completely paralyzed physically, but also vocally. Like he he can't even speak back. This is just replaying a high school moment all over again. So the question that I have for you is, do you think that Snape is partially just worked up because of Harry's outburst about James. Harry has already primed Snape to be in this mindset about high school and has said to him, you hate me because my dad saved your life. And so Snape is already like in this 25 years ago place in his head. And so my question for you is, how do you think that that impacts the way that Snape is interacting in this moment? And I think my answer for you is that Snape feels like 15-year-old Snape and is trying to remember and imagine what it feels like to be Professor Snape and is like faking that. Well, I think what you're helping me see and what this chapter kind of illustrates is that Snape never looks at Harry as being Harry. Snape always looks at Harry and sees James. That's the only way that we can understand his vindictive, nasty behavior. And he's the first one to bring up James in this conversation. The text tells us that Harry is staying silent after Snape is pushing him about how did he get to Hogsmeade, etc. And then Snape says, how extraordinarily like your father you are, Potter, said Snape suddenly, his eyes glinting. He too was exceedingly arrogant. And I think that, like, Snape is just still imagining the world as it was 30 years ago. Like, he is stuck in that place, in that experience of bullying and trauma. And he he just hasn't been able to break free. And I think the moment where we see something really switch is when, you know, Harry just can't take it anymore. And he screams, shut up. And I think that might be the moment where Snape is pushed kind of on the defensive. That's right before Lupin gets brought into the conversation. So I wonder if we've already seen a shift from... Harry suddenly kind of inhabiting more of his Jamesiness where, like, he's not afraid of Snape anymore. Like, I don't care if you're a teacher. I can't control my emotion anymore. And suddenly the game has changed. Yeah, I mean, to me, this is just calling how we are all carrying multiple identities with us whenever we're in a room. People often will say, like, I hate bringing my worlds together, right? I mean, just the other night I had a dinner party and you guys were there and my parents were there and my brothers were there. And I was like, I don't know who I am in this room, right? Right, because to us, you're a friend and a colleague. And to them, you're your daughter or your sister. And it's like... The way that we behave with these different people is different. Right. And when Snape sees Harry, he sees James. You know, he's a teacher. He's also this, like, wounded kid. Lupin is back in Hogwarts. And also, I can't believe I have so much compassion for Snape right now. But, I mean, I didn't have a great high school experience. And I can't imagine anything worse than having to spend the rest of my life at my high school. 
Yeah, that sounds horrific. The last time I was back in the town where my high school was, I was in a grocery store and I spotted my old biology teacher. I hid behind the vegetables. I genuinely, like, I got down on the floor. I was like, I don't want to do this. My mom, there's like a famous story in my family about I was in like a juice place with my old Latin teacher and he and I both pretended not to see each other. (laughs) We were the only two people in the store. I think we were both embarrassed and it was like, bye, right? You just, poor Snape. I can't imagine not being able to physically move on from that. You know what I'm taking away? I feel like Snape should be transferred to Beaubaton or something. I mean, he or Durmstrang, he can learn German. Mm -hmm. He'd fit right in. Yeah. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This week's voicemail is from Tyler Reeves in L.A. Hey guys, um, this is Tyler from Los Angeles. And I reread Prisoner of Azkaban, and I found it kind of adorable how excited Harry was about visiting Hogsmeade, uh, especially considering that it's really just a pretty sleepy town with mostly, like, pubs and little shops and stuff. And, I mean, I get that there's Zonkos and Honeydukes and just kind of, like, you know, teenagers love having the freedom to wander around, like at the mall and everything. But I noticed that when the book first introduced the town and explained like why it was so cool, what it really stressed was the fact that it was one of the few exclusively magical towns in the country. And I imagine that, you know, they don't have to even think about the statute of secrecy, people who live and visit uh, Hogsmeade. And that reminded me of the first time I uh, went to a gay bar in college after I had come out. And 
even though the bar itself wasn't necessarily my cup of tea, it was so exciting to be in a place that was made for people like me and for the first time to really not have to even think about how straight people were like seeing me. Um, but more than that, it was kind of surprisingly fascinating to see like gay adults who had more experience um, with this whole concept of being gay and to observe like how they acted and to kind of like form this like sense of how I would be in the future and what that might look like now that I was part of this new community. So I wondered if that might have been a part of Harry's excitement and maybe that could even be why I've noticed that the books seem to like frequently describe these little details about the random grown-up witches and wizards that Harry encounters throughout the books, probably even more so than, you know, his observations about kids. He probably is, like, fascinated by this idea of, like, what is it going to be like when I grow up? So anyway, I love the show, and I'm excited to see if you guys have any thoughts on um, this idea of Harry's identity as a wizard and how it continues to develop into the third book. Oh my god, Tyler, like halfway through your voicemail, I was like, I know what I'm going to say. I'm going to talk about being in a gay space. And then that's exactly what you said. So I completely understand what you're saying. And I hadn't thought about it in the way that Harry had not been really exposed consciously to magical adults and that this is a place not just of adventure, but it's a place of formation where he gets to look around and say, who do I want to become? You know, because Hogwarts is filled with ghosts and children and like some weird adults who mostly don't get out much. So like Hogsmeade is where he can see, look at careers, look at mentors, look at a life beyond the the walls of Hogwarts. I love that. I think it totally makes sense. And I'm so grateful for you making that point. Casper, it's now time for us to offer a blessing to a character in the chapter. Whom would you like to bless this week? My blessing is for Hermione. She's not like a major character in this chapter, but there's one moment that really struck me, which is that the boys have been off with adventure and Quidditch and all sorts of fun, but she has been fulfilling her promise to help with Buckbeak's defense case research. You know, he's coming up for trial and she's looking in all sorts of history books and hippogriff manuals to try and help strengthen Hagrid's defense for Buckbeak. And in some ways, it's a hopeless case. You know, we know that Malfoy has got such a sway over the committee, but it's such an admirable and thankless task. You know, it just reminded me of all the people who work pro bono to help with legal cases or who who take less well-paying jobs to do legal aid work or who help translate documents because, you know, someone who's new to this country doesn't yet have a full grasp of English. And gosh, that's just it's just so much work, which is always so hidden. And so I wanted to offer a blessing for anyone who's doing that kind of legwork behind the scenes and trying to give everyone a fair representation in front of the law. So a blessing to you. How about you, Vanessa? I would also like to bless Hermione, but for a different moment. Harry finds out that there's another Hogsmeade weekend, and he and Ron immediately start planning on Harry going into Hogsmeade, even though it's forbidden. And Hermione, who is, we know from Hagrid, feels so alone and so isolated and so overworked and has just had telling on the boys for their own good completely backfire on her interpersonally, overhears them talking about it and says, Harry, if you go into Hogsmeade again, I'll tell Professor McGonagall about that map. I mean, and the boys are just so awful to her. Ron goes, can you hear someone talking, Harry, not looking at Hermione? 
And she continues saying, Ron, how can you let him go with you after what Sirius Black nearly did to you? She's just incredulous. And I just think it is the bravest thing in the world. I think she knows exactly what the stakes are. And she is just 100% sure that Harry's life and safety is more important than her own sense of family. And I just think that it is the bravest, sweetest, saddest thing. And so I want to offer a blessing to anyone who is making a really big sacrifice in order to ensure the safety of somebody else. And that comes in a million different ways, you know, taking time off work to take a child to a doctor's appointment or whatever it is. I feel like it can be so hard to make these sacrifices, but people do them every day. And Hermione is a great inspiration. Thank you, Vanessa. Thank you, Casper. Welcome to the Hermione train. (laughs) It's frizzy, but amazing. Choo-choo. You've been listening to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Although we're just back from our West Coast tour, we are going to be leaving soon for our East Coast tour. So if you live in New York, Philadelphia, Washington, D.C., or love to travel to those cities, go to our website, harrypottersacredtext.com, and check out our tickets. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and Facebook, and leave us a review on iTunes. We'd also love to hear from you if you have a voicemail. Send it in to harrypottersacredtext at gmail.com. Next week, we'll read Chapter 15, the Quidditch final through the theme of pain. This episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text was produced by Ariana Nettleman, Casper Turkile, and me, Vanessa Zoltan. Our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Boll, and we are part of the Panoply Network. You can find ours and other great shows on panoply.fm. Thanks also to Rebecca and Charlie Ledley and Stephanie Purcell. We'll see you all next week. Bye. Casper, I just had a ridiculous realization since we've been talking about babies and puppies. What? You know how all I wanted for my other grandma was for her to have a puppy and bake cookies? I have like a lot of friends, sort of like 10 and under, and whenever we hang out, all we do is play with my puppy and bake cookies. I am my other grandmother. She was you all along. She was in me. Oh, I love it. <laughs> There's another grandma inside all of us, everyone. Nana Nancy. Uh. <laughs>